Hello and welcome to the Sea Change Podcast. I am your host, Jenna Valente, and this is your go-to show to learn about the most inspiring people living, working, and recreating on the American shorelines. And today I am so excited to bring this episode to you for a number of reasons. But for one, I imagine we'll be chatting a lot about my home state, which many of you are well aware I am nothing short of obsessed with. Um, But more importantly, my guest is someone that inspires me each and every day. She is the embodiment of what it means to lead by example and has demonstrated dedication to passing along a stewardship ethic and curiosity about the natural world to generations of students. So without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce Sherry Gilmore, the executive director and owner of the Acadia Institute of Oceanography. Sherry, thank you for joining me today. Hi, Jenna. It's good to talk to you. And thank you so much for that warm welcome. That was wonderful. (laughs) And I want to start by looking back a little bit and hearing more about your early life and what sparked your interest in conservation. So sort of thinking about what are some of those formative moments that led you to where you are right now? Well, I think it probably started out when I was pretty little and um, we lived, I was, I'm from Michigan originally, and that's where I live right now during the winter time. Um, and we spent a lot of time on farms, my family, we moved a lot for no particular reason, but we often lived out in the country on farms. And I was, um, I'm a little older than you, Jenna. And back in those days, your parents would say, go outside, just (laughs) in the backyard and don't come back in for (laughs) several hours. And so we did. And we played outside and we played in the woods and I used to love it. And we had gardens and all of that, but, um, Probably. And then I, I used to play school. That was something that I, it never even hit me till I got older that, huh, maybe that I really liked being a teacher. And because I used to make my little brother be the student and I would be the teacher. <laughs> the um, signs were there all along. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but probably what most influenced me would be my time at Kalamazoo College. I went to Michigan, Kalamazoo College of Michigan. And um, I was actually studying theater and psychology. I really love to act and direct and things like that. But, um, and teachers are actors. If the most interesting teachers are, you know, interesting and can do things and not just be boring. So, um, but I got the opportunity to go and um, teach at an environmental education program in Maine. And I really think that's that was sort of the start of it. I just loved it and um, came back and decided I'm going to be I'm going to get my teaching certification. So I was a sophomore in college and I registered so that I could also get my teaching certification. And that was sort of the start. And I look, I think life is where you are in life is due to a series of um, small decisions that you make every day. You know, where our world is didn't just happen overnight. It was a, a series of decisions that people make. And I think each little thing kind of added up to bring me where I am. 
Absolutely. And, and so thinking back to how you mentioned that you, you moved quite a bit when you were younger, and that's a connection that we share um, because I, I grew up in a Coast Guard family and we also moved quite a bit. And, um, you know, as a result, I feel like it was this little uh, unintentional social experiment of, um, you know, now that I work in the coastal conservation space, I, I am looking at all of the places I've lived and thinking about how those communities all had different connections to the land and the water. Um, but all of them seemed to value it, whether it was, you know, valuing, valuing it in, in completely different ways. And I'm not sure if you, where you moved, if it was all in Michigan or if you moved all around the country, um, but did you notice something like that too? Like every community that you were in, whether it was explicit or not, um, you know, tr- sort of are intrinsically tied to their natural resources and appreciate them and, and ingrain them in their culture in their own way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I did move around a lot in the Midwest. We have primarily Michigan, Ohio, um, Indiana, but, and I didn't spend much time by the water which I think made me really want to be by the water. Um, so, uh, but definitely, it was really interesting, even as a young child, I think back now, and I can remember different types of communities. And, you know, again, we did a lot of, we lived a lot out in the country, around farms. And so, you know, these people were truly connected to the land, the land was everything to them and important. And I think I, I, that's what I really want to instill in people now, no matter where you live, the, it's important to you. It should be important to you. The, the ocean, even if I live in the middle of Michigan, should be important to you. Um, but, but they're also going to focus on the Great Lakes and what's here. And so think about you know, what's around you and what is important to you and care about that. And then do something, pick something, do something that will be a positive impact. So yes, I, I think as I look back on it now, um, it, it only, it, it showed me that people are definitely connected to the land wherever they are. Yeah, and I, I definitely think, you know, it's it's that classic hindsight is twenty twenty. When you look back, everything seems so clear. And um, I think that that is a really important point to make about the communities that you live in. You know, whether you're, you know, in the middle of the country or on the coast, um, or even thinking about the community that you have of people around you, um, you know, life is this journey with one step at a time. And thinking about in each of those steps, what is something that you can do to positively impact the community around you, you know, both the physical community and the people around you um, in a way that will make a difference. And, you know, that can be in the smallest ways or the largest ways, but over time it all adds up. So I'm glad that you brought that up. And I think it's also the, you know, I, the sense, there was a sense of, exploration as a child. And I still have that. I still feel that. And probably it was ingrained from childhood of just exploring my surroundings and my environment and going into the woods and moving these leaves and seeing what's under them. And it's fascinating. And most people don't do it. And But if they would do it, they would then 
know more about it and then care more about it. And so for me, I still, one of my favorite things to do when I travel is just walk, just go everywhere, search and look in back alleys and everywhere, as long as it's safe, you know, (laughs) that, that not normal, you know, everyday visitors would go to, but the locals would go to. And so it, it sort of has become my life mission in a way. And I, again, didn't really see it coming to help people to explore and then love what's around them and care about what's around them. Yeah. And it's amazing to, to see and experience and think about the, the like both small and large wonders that you can find right in your own backyard or your own neighborhood, because I too really enjoy just going out for a walk. Um, if I ever am feeling like, you know, my brain is feeling a little stagnant or I have a few moments, or maybe even if I'm just super busy, but need a moment to breathe, just taking a a few minutes to walk around the block. And every time I do that, I feel like I come in and I'm like, wow, I, you know, I never noticed that thing before. There's like something on the ground that sparks my curiosity to learn about or explore it more. And so, you know, we, for people that are listening to the show that want to be more involved in conservation work or lifelong learning, you know, those things can happen in your everyday life just from setting the intention of pushing yourself to get out there and maybe go for a walk instead of watching a Netflix show or, you know, sitting around and watching TV, um, which has its place in time. But there are there are definitely ways to um, you know continue learning and sparking that curiosity within you just right in your own backyard. Yeah, I mean, look up. But I would think take your eyes off of your phone when you are walking and look up. You know, and and it, it, in all walks of life, that's the case. You know, you're sitting at a meal with someone, put the phone away and look up at who's sitting across from you. Or you know, I walked out of the house this morning, and at six a.m. when my son has to get up at this god awful hour to go to school, and. the the sky was amazing. It was beautiful. It was this reds and, you know, like, look up. I hope people, and all I thought really was, I hope people are like seeing this. Other people are seeing this. So I think that's it is, is use and encourage the natural exploration that you have inside of you and that our kids have and, and just help them, um, use it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, take that a little time to, to dedicate yourself or set the intention to be present in that moment. Um, and really, um, I think something that I find helpful in my daily life is trying to look at everything around me that I, I see every single day and trying to look at it through a new lens or a new angle or, um, you know, just noticing different things or the the beauty and the things that are around me at all times, because it can be easy to fall into your day-to-day routine and um, get caught up in your phone and everything that you have to do. But um, it can really be soothing and educational and even exciting at times to just, you know, sit there or walk around and and look at something from a, a new angle. Right. And that for me, when I, maybe because I never had it as a kid, I didn't have the ocean. I didn't have 
the mountains. I was in the middle of Michigan, which is flatter and it can be very pretty. It's Maine is not unlike Northern Michigan in a lot of the flora and the fauna, but, um, you know, I, I, I never get tired of driving into Maine for the first day in the summer when I arrive or, you know, it never gets old seeing the ocean, seeing the mountains, seeing that view. Um, you know, I, I just have come to really truly appreciate all of it. The Great Lakes, you know, now that I get to spend some time, I'm an adult and I can get to the Great Lakes. <laughs> I, I never, um, it just doesn't get old, it's, you know, and there's always something new to see. And so um, I hope that others will sort of um, look up and start finding that for themselves as well. Yeah. And I, I agree. And I love that, that mindset. And so now you find yourself in a, in a situation where you're splitting part of the year between Maine and Michigan. Did you ever envision yourself splitting time like that between two states? And, you know, what is that experience like um, spending, you know, seasonally time in Maine and then time in Michigan? Well, I, like you, Jenna, love Maine. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I actually, after college, I, I was what they called a deviant at Kalamazoo College. That's what they actually called us, which meant I didn't go on a traditional course. I did my career development, which is when I worked environmental ed the first time, and then really financially could not afford to do their um, foreign study program, which is a great, strong program they have, but I couldn't really do it. So I did my foreign study in Maine. Mm-hmm. and I, <laughs> I, did. I always said I did it in Maine. And I um, kept going back to Maine because I loved it. Every chance I could get a quarter off or, you know, I could defer, defer. I did that and um, made it through college, um, financially based barely, but made it through college. And um, uh, then I moved to Maine. And because I loved it and I was doing environmental ed and um, I started working at the program I'm working at uh, the following summer after one year after I graduated. Um, But I stayed in Maine. So I was in Maine for about 20 years. And when I left, I was really sad. It was hard. And even though I knew I was coming back every summer, um, it was hard. Um, I I'm from Michigan. I have family still here in Michigan, so there'll always be a place. Will I stay in Michigan forever? Maybe not, because I would love to be a little bit warmer in the winters sometimes. So I might move a little further south, but I always get to go to Maine. Yeah, I was like, I don't think Maine can help you with that part, but. (laughs) No, no. Maine is so, winter even is just gorgeous. It's It's beautiful. Right. It's just, you know, to me, that's when I think of winter in Maine, I think of of course, a lot of snow, mm-hmm. but also just the bluest skies I've ever well, seen. Yes, like those magical bluebird days. Like the yep. one of my favorite life moments is that first like bluebird day after a fresh snow, where everything just looks like it's covered in diamonds. Right, it's that's just, it. and there it's all the snow is untouched. It's like one of the most perfect things I feel like you can experience in the world. It's so beautiful. I agree. It's beautiful, you know, and so it it gets cold. (laughs) It certainly gets cold there. And uh, as I get a little bit older, I think, well, it sure be nice to be warmer sometime. (laughs) So, so, you know, I never... I never really envision myself going between two places. It's really interesting to be able to do it. It's a, they're really different 
culturally, really. Midwest and, and Maine are very, that's New England and the Midwest um, are really different places. But what's really interesting is you, fa- you find the same kinds of dedicated people Um, you know, my husband's family has a little place along Lake Michigan, so I get to spend a lot of time there and I'm pretty aware of what's going on. And sadly, how many people who make decisions don't get that sand moves, whether you like the sand moving or not, uh, things happen and the lake changes and water levels change. And, um, and it's really interesting though, to see that there are these people who care very deeply and are fighting for the lakes, you know, because there's 20% of our freshwater right there in, in the Great Lakes. And you've, you've got people in Maine who feel the same way about their oceans and their coastlines and the 3,500 miles of coastline that Maine has. Um, and, and so that's really great. And that's what they have in common. And a lot of, like I said, the plant life is really similar. The mammals are really similar. Um, and yet at the same time, they're very different. Uh, both of them now don't think I belong in either one. <laughs> I, 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 both, two of my children were born in Maine, and I'm still be, being told, that, that well, you're not from here because you, know, and you don't really have a say. Yeah, uh, they're really strict about that oh, from yeah. here, come here yeah. line. You know, one was like, no, he was like, you've got to be here about three generations before you're alive. <laughs> you know, I got a pretty good Maine accent down now. From that's talking. a great, that's a great Maine <laughs> yeah. accent. Yeah. A lot of, and, and getting to know wonderful people from Maine. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that I get that, but now I get where are you, you know, your accent is so funny because we Michiganders have a pretty strong A, uh-huh. and a strong accent. And so it's, it's really interesting, but you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way. I, I, think from moving all the time as a kid, I would have gotten bored if I stayed in one place. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's gotta be an interesting way to split up the year. And, you know, right. you always have something to look forward to is the seasons where you're in Maine for the summer, which is where, you know, everybody wants to be in Maine for the summer. Exactly. Um, and, and then, you know, back home with your family and loved ones and in Michigan for the winter time, I think right. that is, you're really yeah. on to something. <laughs> well, it's nice. I will say, you know, I have three children and as a working mother and sometimes difficult, um, you know, that that's a whole part of it that probably most people don't know. But I did it and my I, I loved having my kids came with me and and travel with me. Um, but it's a lot for my husband. Sometimes he teaches. He's a documentary filmmaker and teaches at the University of Michigan. And so you know, he has, he's Mr. Dad in the summer all the time. And, you know, I was nursing babies and then running across the road to meet parents in the summer, you know, (laughs) like that. And um, so it's been wonderful. It's been also sometimes a struggle because I have to leave my family. I have to pack up and go to Maine. And then I work every day straight for nine weeks. And I, you know, it's hard on my family sometimes, even though they have, they love Maine. My kids are like, we're moving to Maine. That's where they're all going. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, it was hard. It was hard on them sometimes. It was hard on me sometimes, often. Um, they, you know, as much time as I spend with them during the school year, during those nine months of the year, I work at home. Mm-hmm. So I'm 
around them all the time. I can volunteer in their class. I can be around. You would think I never saw them because then they they give you the guilt of mom, you're mom, you're not there for my first day of school or you weren't there <laughs> for this. And I'm like, are you kidding, honey? I'm with you all the time. Except <laughs> during this time, I have to do this work so that, you know, we can So eat. I can put the food on the table. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I think that it's really important to be open and vulnerable with with me and, you know, with everybody about, with, about what your experience is like as a working parent, especially one that, you know, is not necessarily in that classic nine to five situation, um, because we can go on and on all day long about how special and wonderful Michigan and Maine are because they truly are. But, you know, that also comes with a great deal of hard work. Um, and I think a lot of times, the reward is found in that hard work, um, but there there takes a lot of commitment and communication and support from your community and your family and your loved ones um, yep, for this definitely. for this to happen. So I'm I'm really appreciative of you bringing that up. I'm a good juggler, Jenna. Yeah, <laughs> I've, had to, I've had to learn to juggle a lot of balls in the air at one time. But you know, it's like as my my last my third son is now a sophomore in high school and. I'm like, phew, we've almost made it. <laughs> yeah, the light is at the end. Yes, until, you know, I don't have any children at this moment, but I hear the whole empty nester thing is a little bit, it's something that parents, I feel like they look forward to. And then that's a whole nother big right. life change to get used to. Um, I don't know, with Facebook and everything else, my son is in Tokyo and I've been on the phone with him. He calls me all the time. <laughs> on, uh, his, uh, you know, it's called Line he uses and he'll, he'll you know, call me on the video chat and they're having a big typhoon. He's in Tokyo and um, they're about to have a major, major typhoon. They're calling it a super typhoon. But, um, but well, he I just, hope that he is in a safe space and, and yeah, able to find is. shelter. He is. He's he's in good shape, but he's but you don't your kids never leave. <laughs> I, mean, I love them dearly. My daughter's in New York, my son's in Tokyo, and then the other one here in high school. And yet anymore with the way you can stay in touch, they don't they never leave really. So Absolutely. So and you're right. With the, the technology we have at our fingertips these days, people can live all the way around the world. I mean in Tokyo and you can still talk to them every day. It's a pretty exactly. wonderful thing. Um yeah. So speaking of, you know, all of these beautiful places, Maine, Michigan, um, mm-hmm. moving a little bit away from the technology, but what, what are some of the ways that you like to get out and enjoy the outdoors? Because I know that you've mentioned, and I think that this is really central to my love of conservation and per- choosing the career path that I'm now on, is that my parents also sort of booted me outside whenever... Um, you know, when I was growing up, me and my brother were outside most of the time playing around and entertaining ourselves. I think that that was a really uh, important experience for me to have, um, which now leads me to pretty much try to spend as much time outside as possible. Um, So what are some ways that you like to get outside and enjoy the outdoors? And then do you have any favorite places that you like to recreate? Uh, I was always a big walker, like for exercise. I love to walk. I'm a fast walker. Well, that's partially because I was always, I'm always still running back and forth between my house and the building up in Maine to talk to parents or kids. <laughs> People are always like, you got to get over here right now. Um, so we actually lived in Florida for about eight years, which was 
fine by me for a while. I do, I'm not a big Florida fan, but but I got to live in St. Augustine and it was close to the ocean and um, we made some good friends and I got to get out and walk all the time. And then about five or six years ago, my husband, uh, my husband suggested we start running, which I thought never <laughs> will I be Only if I'm chased, now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can the good thing about being able to run like five miles or six i'm i'm gonna run a uh, the um marine corps marathon uh, he's running the marine corps marathon i'm running a 10k in the end of the month in washington dc and um the good thing about that is you could outrun zombies that's what i just <laughs> okay, the only good thing about yeah, being able training to for the apocalypse yes um <laughs> <laughs> Now, like, so about five years now, we've been running, which is great because we like to be out, you know, running the back roads, even here in Ann Arbor. And um, just kind of being outside is really wonderful. Um, and in the summer, you know, I, I'm on the boat every opportunity I can be on the boat. I love it. I love getting out there and fishing with the kids or what, doing their water testing or um, any of it. <laughs> I just love to get out there. But, you know, sometimes I'll notice that I don't, I can't do it for fun much in the summer just on my own because I'm mm-hmm. just so busy. So I have to actually schedule myself with on our schedule with the kids so I can <laughs> go out and go to the beach or, you know, go to Echo Lake or go um, to some of these places that are really nice to be in. But if I get a chance to do it, I love to just take a walk. I still do. After I do my run, I'll get the dog and we'll just go on a long walk. And it's one of my favorite things to do to just like look through the woods still and, you know, walk down trails and that I don't know. Um, Maine is at Acadia, especially has just amazing Mm -hmm. carriage paths. Thanks to Rockefellers. And um, they're, they're wonderful. That's one of my favorite places to run is just get on carriage paths and run. Definitely some of my favorite places to explore. Um, I mean, you can even rent bikes and explore them. That's a little tough when you you realize just how hilly those, those trails are. But um, when you get it, when you get a good long downhill, that's pretty exhilarating. (laughs) Our legs, we get so in great shape by the end of the summer because, you know, you gotta, like, you gotta get up those hills running around Day Mountain. It's like Mm -hmm. about three miles uphill and then you get to run downhill, which is nice. Yeah, <laughs> it's all for the downhill. Yes, yeah. and and I I agree with you on the walking and running um, side of things because with my day job, which I know you're familiar with, but for listeners, um, I do a good amount of traveling for work. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times we go to D.C. or we you know are coast to coast and visiting with our Healthy Oceans Coalition members right. or going to conferences. And you know, a lot of my friends are like you know, you're always traveling somewhere cool. And I have to remind them that I'm not on vacation when I'm doing that. And I'm actually working really hard and really busy. And a lot of the times I struggle to even see the places that I'm in. And I've found that a good way for me to do that is to wake up early and go for a run or a walk. Mm -hmm. And I can do a little bit of sightseeing um, that way and also get a workout in before, you know, we have to pay attention to our, our work responsibilities. Um, so for anybody that is also in that situation, that's like been a little bit of a nice life hack for me to be able to maintain a workout routine, but then also see 
those areas that you're traveling to for work. Yeah, I, 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 in the winters, I do a program for kids who do well in my summer program. They can come, this year we're going to Belize again. We do nine days and eight days in Belize. Um, and we go to the Tropical Research Education Center in San Pedro. And um, then we do Florida, a trip in Florida every other year. So we alternate those two where we do a lot of work with manatees and the kids snorkel with the manatees. And we talk a lot about Florida and its sort of environment and its importance and what's been happening down there. And um, my daughter, my kids are, you know, I usually, we used to take them. We did Jamaica programs and I would, since my daughter was six months old, she has gone on this trip with me. And, um, then there got to a point where they got old enough and that was difficult. And my husband had a harder time getting time off of school. And so I've just been doing them. Um, and they always think <laughs> I'm working, you know, they think I'm down there. I, I am, I'm having fun. Don't get me wrong. I, one, of my, <laughs> yeah. one of my favorite things to do is, is to snorkel in, you know, whole Chan and Belize or, in some of these beautiful marine preserves. Um, but I am working and I am exhausted by the end of the day and I'm taking notes and do paying bills and doing all this stuff. So my daughter came with me to the Florida trip once. And by the third day she, and this was when she was an adult and she, she (laughs) said, she was like, you have to give these kids more time, mom. I'm never seeing you. I don't know. I keep saying, honey, I am working. I mean, I love to do these, but I, I'm working as well. I mean, I'm not just running away from you guys. (laughs) Yes. I get to go to a place that's really interesting and cool. And I love working with the kids, but I'm working. So, uh, yeah. So yes. Yeah. Those trips really take a lot out of you. And yep. I, I definitely am not trying to make it sound like I'm complaining because I love traveling. Oh, no. That's one of my favorite things to do. But um, they definitely can exhaust you if you don't find that balance. But I also think it is that that going back to technology, it's that like Instagram versus reality where you know, you are online posting all these beautiful pictures of where you are, which is why I think probably that's why my community of people are thinking I'm on vacation (laughs) whenever I'm traveling. But it's like, no, I had like 30 seconds to snap that photo and just wanted to share that I'm still alive and well. And um, well, even then I got back to work, (laughs) even when I've had the amazing opportunity to trap, to work and travel with the healthy oceans coalition, which has been great. And I've loved working with the different, (laughs) we love having you. Yes. It's been great. (laughs) We'll snap a picture you know, in front of something, but then we're, you know, we're running, like we're yeah. busy. We got to get here and we got to be there and we got to do that. And so, right. I think people look and they're like, Oh, how cool you're in Washington, DC. You're like, right. I saw that from a distance, but now we got to go, you know? So, uh, yep. so yes, it's wonderful. I wouldn't trade it, but I also know it's, um, it's work. You know, it's, it's it's tiring and um, it's like any other job in a way that you are, you're tired and you need a break. Sometimes you need to come home. Yes, absolutely. So, and so now I want to fast forward to you serving in your current role as the executive Mm -hmm. director of the Acadia Institute of Oceanography. Mm -hmm. Um, Will you share with listeners a little bit more about what you all do there and how um, AIO, which I will refer to it. probably from now on is that, um, to save a mouthful, but, Mm -hmm. um, and how it all came to be. 
Well, it uh, the program itself started in 1975, and um, a chemistry teacher from Newton, Massachusetts, George Hahn, and his wife Esther, uh, he had a dream of um, a starting a program like this. And he loved Acadia and he had been a park ranger, but he also taught in the Newton schools and he taught at North uh, Eastern as well. And so he came up with a group of students. I'm not exactly sure where they all came from at that, the first group and they camped in Blackwood's campground. And then the next year he found out about the schoolhouse that we use up there. It was a schoolhouse that the Rockefellers built for the town for Mount desert. And it was the primary school. Um, so people still stop in today and tell me, Oh, my mom was the principal here, or we went to school here, which is really great. Um, and so he found out about it. It had been standing empty for a long time and somebody had purchased it. So he bought it and started the program. So the next summer, He'd run it in 75, and the next year and from then on, he was running the program from the schoolhouse in Seal Harbor. Um, and then in um, 80, 1984, I started working there in the summers. Friends of mine from my environmental ed program told me about it and said, you should go up there. You should work there. And um, I started, uh, started at the bottom. I was on the recreation staff and I didn't do a whole lot of teaching there, even though I had been teaching environmental ed and was program directing a site. <laughs> George was sort of old school and was like, well, you know, you gotta, you don't really have your degree necessarily in marine science or whatever. So you should be on the rec staff, which was fine. <laughs> And I had to convince him to let me teach a freshwater lesson or teach a, another lesson. And eventually he did. But um, honestly, it, it's because I kind of stuck with it. I mean, I, I stayed there. I love telling people what to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love to direct. I was directing the environmental education program. It was the environmental schools. And um and what was really wonderful was the person I worked for, Dwayne Bond. Essentially, I became his assistant director, his associate assistant director. And we together ran these sites and he dealt with the, with the kind of financial end and, and getting the staff and all. And I dealt with staffing and programming and things like that. And that was about nine years of really great experience. But he also took me under his wing and taught me about finances and how to do budgets and things like that. He was really great about sort of sharing it and saying here, you know, maybe you should know how these things work someday and things like that. So that was really, really helpful to me. But I also knew I was working here during the school year. I was working in the summers um, at the, uh, at AIO and I was exhausted. It was, it's a lot, you know, environmental ed is, is residential and my, the summer program's residential. Um, but I did that for about, um, I worked for George for about eight summers and was full-time during those times. And I loved it, but I also knew I was getting to a point where I really felt like I was ready to do my own thing. I was ready to, you know, I'd been assistant directing. I didn't always agree with everything, even though I thought, you know, it was going great. I felt like maybe I was hockey, I don't know, late 20 year old, but late 20. I just thought I can do this. You know, I, I could do this and I have ideas and I, I know how I would like to do things. 
at that same time, um, George came to me and asked me if we would be willing. He was had some medical issues he was dealing with and asked me if I would buy it, if I would take over. Now, as you may know, environmental ed does not pay very well. Um, and so I was not making a lot of money and neither did the summer program pay very well. I think I made $75 a week to start there. Um, but he graciously, and it would never would have happened if he hadn't just let me um, buy it and him sort of, I could pay him. You know, I didn't have to go get a loan and do this whole thing. And I was... I was ready. I just felt like, yeah, you know, I can, I can do this. And so that was in, um, 91. I had just gotten married and I felt like, yeah, I'm ready. And so I'm now I'm at a point where I actually have owned it longer than he did, which is really strange. Um, and I feel really good about it. I feel like you know, I've worked really closely with the staff I have there that some of them, Kathy, my program director, has been there 30 years now, you know, almost as long as I have. And we work really closely together to create this really good, solid academic program. You know, I, we offer college credit to our advanced session kids who, uh, for one of our sessions through the University of Maine, Machias, and we feel like it's a really... It's a really strong, solid introduction, but also, you know, a career exploration for kids in marine science. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you work with people for that long, they really become like family to you and you all become so invested and, in, mm-hmm. and, oh, yeah. um, you know, that work becomes so personal that it's, it's so much more than a job. Um, and so then you touched a little bit on some of the work that you do through AIO, but what are some of the key issues that you all focus on with the curriculum? Well, my goal, I guess, with AIO is, is you know, there's always, politics always come into it some. Conservation is certainly um, part of it because you can't talk about environments and not somehow be pushing conservation. But rather than throw it in their face hard, I feel like I want you to know what, how this works. I want you to see this environment and understand how it works with other environments around it. How do they work together? How do they help each other? And are there any negative impacts to them? You know, and, and when one is affected, how is the other affected? Um, and just give them a really good, strong understanding of how the ocean is studied. You know, what kinds of things do we do to learn about the ocean and why is that important? Why do you care? Like I'll, when we do a beach lesson, I'll say, you know, talk about dunes and formation and, and then say, and we're going to do a profile. Why do you care what the profile of this beach is? Why does anyone care? And then talk about, well, there's a lot of people that care about that. You know, look how many people uh, recreate along the ocean and look at how many people want to live close to the ocean. And we talk about numbers of people and look at the life that's along the ocean that use that depends on it as an ecosystem. And so my my efforts go into teaching them as much as I can about the ocean and how it's studied and then they move from there to now they understand it so they will care about it. 
Yeah. And I, I think a, a, a really important aspect of that too, is the whole experiential learning aspect of it. It's like learning by doing and not uh, sitting in a classroom, which has its own values in its own ways, but, and being told why you should care about something. It's actually going out and connecting with the resource and coming up with your own meaning and your own value and your own love. Or if maybe something doesn't connect with you, your own experiences one way or the other with the resource. Um, so then you understand and can really feel that deep connection to it. So then you can go on. Um, and either communicate about it or continue learning about it, which I, I think that's really important. Right. That's my goal is to say, is to teach you. It's like someone, you know, you're on a subway and there's someone sitting across from you and you don't know who they are from Adam. But if I get to know that person, I, I talk to them about it uh, or about something or we connect in some way, then there it's very different. It's a very different thing, me sitting across from that person. And so the ocean is the same way. If I, whether you know the name of an organism or not, although we do our advanced session kids, we really try to get them to know the names, but it's okay because the name is not as important as understanding its function and its place in the ecosystem. And why is it important? Why is it a big deal when we go out and do a, our survey of crabs along the shoreline? Um, it's a big deal if we find all these green crabs, which we do. Um, we'll start, we think we found our first Asian crab in Seal Harbor, and I know they've been finding and They found one in Scudic Peninsula, and they're finding them all over Portland now. Um, and so why is that an issue? Why is that a big deal? And, um, and then the kids leave, and most of them stay in marine science. Some do not, but... I've been in touch with many, many, many kids. I've been doing this for 35 years and they, um, they care even if they end up doing something completely different. I'm one, I'm friends with someone who on Facebook, who is a, was a student and she's an opera singer in New York, but, but she always tells me how she, that was how important it was to her to come and do this. And, and, you know, she'll post or say things and make um, comments about, issues in, in the environment. And I think, well, there you go. You know, we, you don't have to do this for a living, but I want you to be someone who down the road will become a good steward. And if we can, you know, get, if I can get 200 kids a summer who grow up and become adults who are good stewards, we might actually, I, I will give them a talk uh, on the Gulf of Maine. And we talk about some of the issues that are occurring with the Gulf of Maine. And I don't want it to end on a horrible negative note. You know, I'll say to them, but I, I feel very positive. I do. I feel like I'm talking to you. I'm doing my work um, for the environment by teaching you and showing you and now saying, okay, can one of you please grow up and make good laws and good rules? And, and you know, please be the people that are on local boards and, because if, if Healthy Oceans Coalition has taught me anything, one of the big things that has taught me is local is important. It's so important. And I mean, and I appreciate you saying that because, I mean, you're exactly right. It's like every, basically our goal with Healthy Oceans Coalition is help, having people, and it's not really by any doing of our own. It's more just providing resources and a platform to feel empowered, but you know, realizing the power that you have to make change 
locally and within your own communities and, um, you know, seeing just how that change continues to catch on and, um, you know, spread throughout the community is, is just so amazing. And like one of my favorite aspects of, of my, my day job. Right. Well, you have taught me that it's almost more important, you know, like we all get upset. I don't care who the president is. There's always someone upset, maybe more, maybe more so right now, but, um, but there are, are, there's always someone upset, but I've, I've kind of learned and, you know, from working with the other organizations and healthy oceans that yes, that person's important, but they're not nearly as important as getting the ear of your local uh, people who are making decisions on a local level, people who are making decisions for your state uh, and then getting to like the senators and the Congress people who are going to actually pass laws and things. Um, you know, the, the president can make a lot of noise. Whoever the president is can make a lot of noise, but he's or she are not the ones who are making the actual laws. Um, and, and so I've kind of learned that, okay, it's really important to not let myself get too, too upset by some of the stuff I hear and um, really folk, but really focus on getting to those people, getting to, you know, the local um, people who make decisions about um, distances of, you know, from water sources and people who make those kinds of decisions, I think has been really, really important. So for me, if I can, my thing I've chosen to do is teach these kids is to say, okay, these are going to be those people that are on those boards that are in, in Congress. I, I have several kids who are working in Washington right now who used to, were my students. One's in the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. One does um, NASA work and some are just working for senators and it's it, not just, but so it's really, really, um, I feel like, okay, if I kind of make you care help you care about this thing and know about this thing, then maybe you will care and make the right decisions down the road. It may not be now, but it might be, you know, hopefully soon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like, um, like an education or advocacy snowball effect where you, you start just with what can you do in your daily life? You know, I think the quickest way to get anybody to shut down, and I think that circles back around to what you're talking about with how you um, teach about the climate or um, the natural world, is you always try to keep it as positive as possible because, you know, it's so easy for it to seem like way too overwhelming. And then you get people shutting down because they're like, well, what am I going to do? I'm just one person. But if you kind of flip that way of thinking, and start to look internal and be like, what can I do? You know, what is that one thing that I can do? Who is this person that I can reach out to my local city council member or, you know, somebody that works for this business in my community that I would like to be better about composting or whatever, like every single thing you do adds up over time. Um, and it does sometimes take years for you to see change, but it takes that dedication to pushing out that message and being a positive actor within your own community and living by example um, for that to really catch on. Right. And I, I, I agree with you. It's overwhelming. If you look at yes. the earth as a whole and you start looking at every issue, it's overwhelming. I mean, any, <laughs> you know, and, and part of, 
I mean, I, I, I have a wonderful nurse. Just, she's amazing. She's a hard worker. She loves, she lives in Portland. She loves Portland. She's a Mainer. Oh my gosh. And, but you know, I see her sometimes on Facebook and I feel so badly because people, she'll say something about what we should be doing with the environment and people will she has one friend in particular who always kind of jump on her. And I always think <laughs> there's always oh, that one. There isn't there? Is. <laughs> part of one I'm only on Facebook really for my program. Cause I'm like, I, especially once I'm going to wait till the election's over and then maybe. Get that. But, um, oh. the do, you know, she's doing something, do something like that's, that's what I've kind of figured out is if I think about all of the things you know, I'm a mom, I've got three kids, I've got a husband, I've got a life, I've got a job, a business I'm trying to run, keep kids coming in, you know, all these things. And I'm like, I would love to get my hands more into things, but it's too overwhelming. It's too much. I can't do it all. And so, you know, into more environmental issues. And so I've realized, okay, you got to pick something, but, but pick something like, don't, don't do nothing. Don't like curl up in a ball and decide it's, <laughs> you know, it's all over. Uh, woe is me. No, you know, pick something to do. If every single person picked one thing to focus mm-hmm. on and say, I'm going to put my energy towards that, or I'm going to try to help here. Um, you know, mine, I'm going to try to teach these kids. I'm going to try to make them care um, and, and teach them what I can. You know, then, then, and of course I drive my kids crazy with recycling and all the other things we do just <laughs> every day. But, but if you choose one thing and everybody does one thing mm-hmm. and things could change. I mean, I think the earth would be in a much better position if everybody would just choose one thing. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And, you know, sometimes it does feel overwhelming and you want to curl up in a little ball and emote for a little bit and that's okay, but you got to pick yourself back up at some point and figure out, you know, what, what is your one thing? So maybe that's our challenge for listeners today is to think about what is that one thing or what is something that you can do today that will improve the community around you. And it doesn't have to be a a huge, you know, you don't have to decide to, you know, (laughs) I don't know, I'm going to go, you know, to Washington and and pick it (laughs) about climate change. That's amazing. That's her thing, you know, but, but you could choose, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to use less things that would create waste. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to not take that lid. I'm not, I'm going to use, reuse my cup. It's just little decisions. Again, it's yep. little decisions that you make every day that add up and get you to where you are. And our little decisions of let's make life easier. Let's use more plastics and things that don't break down too fast and do all that. That kind of got us to where we are, you know, of, of let's do, well, there's coal in the ground. Let's just dig it out. Use that. Let's burn that. Or, um, and that's how we got where we are. We got to, to get back the other way. You got to start making some different decisions, but make one. Absolutely. And even to go out beyond the conserva- like conservation minding on that, it's, it's, you could even do that in, it's throughout 
your your day and your life right. in many different areas. So, you know, oh, maybe you haven't called your grandmother in a while or your mom or, <laughs> you know, there's like somebody um, that you think maybe is going through a rough time and you want to handwrite them a note or you just want maybe it's self-care. Maybe you need to be good to yourself today. Correct. <laughs> you know, be kind to people. That's my thing. Be kind, you know, yeah. to somebody. Be kind to people yeah. who need it. No, you never know that. what anyone's going through. So just exactly. always try to be kind because yeah. sometimes it's so much easier to choose the option of not being that way. So I exactly. think being kind is the strong, bold option. Um, so also while I have you here um, mm-hmm. and I, I just want to call upon your expertise and your observations because you do spend a lot of time out on the coast and on the water. Mm-hmm. Um, can you mm-hmm. share some ways that you've noticed the climate changing over the years? And that can be either in Maine or Michigan or really anywhere else. Yeah, I, I mean, probably because I spend more time out on the water now um, and along the shore uh, in the woods in Maine, I probably see it more there. I mean, I certainly see things here. I see them everywhere. Um, you know, more severe things, more heat, more cold, you know, more severe cold, more severe storms. Um, But specifically in Maine, working out on the water, working along the shore, definite changes. I've seen, um, and we've talked about this before, Mm -hmm. but I've seen CO2 levels change. Um, They're definitely going up. Um, the, you know, for years and years, we didn't get, we, we test them. We use test kits with the kids to kind of show them how these work. What are they seeing? How the changes occur in this test kit? And, um, but what they're measuring is looking at the levels of, of carbon dioxide. And they're saying, you know, in the ocean, it's a great sink and all that. And, um, but, um, so, I send the kids to do the tests, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes they do them wrong because they're kids. <laughs> I mean, it starts at the age they're of learning. twelve, yeah, right. And so, um, so sometimes you think they might do it wrong, but we check with them. We've staff there. We're kind of working with them to get better. And they have the past probably four or five years. I and I just this year started putting all of our data together, really putting it together. I got some of the younger, more technically savvy kids, uh, (laughs) interns to help me out. But um, the levels have gone up. Like we're actually seeing measurable levels and the test measures free CO2 in the water. And, you know, first I thought they were doing it wrong. And then I thought, no, we're getting it regularly. You know, and it's not, may not seem huge, two, three, four, five parts per million, but when you had nothing, you weren't, we weren't measuring anything, even though when we would do a plankton tow, we would pull in lots and lots of phytoplankton mm-hmm. you know, that is taking in that CO2 and needs it to photosynthesize. Um, and so that hasn't really changed. We're still finding that, but we're finding extra CO2 just floating in the water. That then we looked at our pH because CO2, you know, H2O is carbonic acid, right? When you put them mm-hmm. together. So we've noticed as well that the pH on average has dropped closer from where we measure. We measure in a fjord some sound up in the island. <coughs> Excuse me. We notice 
about 8.2 on average. And we were getting 8.5. And again, might not seem like a lot, but that's a big mm-hmm. jump. It's not it's not so massive that we're losing everything, but it's big enough and going down enough that there is concern, as you know, I'm sure you've heard and others about our shelled animals, their ability to to make their shells for one, because as that breaks loose, the hydrogen, the positive hydrogen ions and right break loose, and then they are bound to the to the other, uh, you know, they they break apart, and then the um the or the organisms that need that can't grab it out of mm-hmm. the water. They can't grab their the calcium carbonate out of the water to make their shells. So not only is it more acidic, so it makes it difficult that it wears at the shells, but they don't have the ability to make their shells in the first place. And so that should be really concerning, I think, to our to the Gulf of Maine, maybe everybody, because we're, a, you know, Maine's kind of become a monoculture now with lobster. Yeah. And we count on the lobster industry. And because we've overfished so many of the, you know, fish that we used to go for. Um, and we, you know, they try, they try like, well, let's do scallops. And yes, scallops are there, but it's not a big enough source probably to keep a lot of people in, um, with a job. Um, and, um, you know, there's other, they'll shrimp and they'll take, um, you know, urchins and things like that. But lobster, <laughs> that's, that's our thing, <laughs> you know. That could and, be Maine's, um, Maine's motto, I, lobster. That's our thing. <laughs> right. That's our thing, you know? And it's, uh, it's concerning. Yeah. I mean, I, I see that, I see those things changing. I mean, I see things like when I was uh, there in the eighties, we would catch dogfish like crazy. I mean, just dogfish sharks all the time. Now I actually hadn't seen one for probably 15 hmm. years. And then a couple of years ago, I saw one. I was so excited. <laughs> it was, we were out on the fishing boat and we were like, don't catch it. Don't catch it. Just let it go. And you know, we just watched it swim by and, because we never see them. And then I just read an article and I thought, well, that makes complete sense about fewer whales in the Gulf of Maine because their food sources are yeah, going down. Go where the food is. Yep. You know? Right. Because of the warmer waters. So all summer past two summers, we run whale watches with our kids at the middle of the session. We've had to go to Canada wow. to see the whales. Wow. We've had to go up to Canadian waters, which is a really long trip and a long day, but it's fine. And, but they aren't seeing whales otherwise the past two years Hmm. in the Gulf up up where we are by Mount Desert Island, they're not seeing nearly the same. They can't find them for sure, but they can go up to Canada and close to the Bay of Fundy and hopefully find them. So they've got to get there. We're getting overrun by green crabs on our coastline. Um, I mean, there's, and they, because they're so tolerant of the, salt, you know, of changes in salinity and changes in temperature. And I mean, they can handle just about anything. Um, so we still find when we, um, we, I have some lobster traps for demonstration. And when we go out and dredge, we sometimes, we still find rock crabs and Jonah's, but they're out, they're further out because the green crabs have taken over the coastline. And so I know a lot of this is coming about because things are changing in the water you know, the temperature, I I haven't seen a lot of the change in temperature. I know it's there, but I don't have, 
<laughs> I don't have the, quite the expensive equipment to keep the uh, thermometer down low mm-hmm. all the time, but uh, the um, Gulf of Maine Lobster Foundation, uh, Aaron Pelletier, who's come to yep. some of his on the Healthy Ocean Coalition, they've been doing uh, running tests where they have uh, thermometers on lobster traps that they are able then to constantly read the temperature over long periods of time. Uh, bottom temperatures and to see the changes. So things like that will help us to try to figure out, you know, how much it's changing. And it's obvious every, I mean, everyone who tests in the Gulf of Maine says it's changing so much more rapidly than most bodies of water because it's enclosed and, and the way it's set up. And um, so I, I, you know, it's, it's, it concerns me. It makes me a little sad to see it. And I keep thinking, you know, we we have to make some changes. Yeah. We have to slow it well, down. Well, it's a little, a little it's a little bit. scary too, or alarming because you know we're hearing all of this and seeing all of this data, but it's almost like we're trying to react to it and become more resilient as we're still understanding, trying to understand the right. full breadth of the and depth of the problem. Um, so right, we're yeah, we're kind of on the on the uh, defense yeah. <laughs> when would have been nice for us to think about this. I mean, this was, I guess, concerning years and years and years ago before we were born, that there were, there were scientists who actually yep. noted that things were changing. Um, and, you know, I hate that it's become political. Mm-hmm. I mean, it shouldn't be that we take a vote and we decide who believes <laughs> climate change is occurring. How many do you think it's happening? Okay. Well, not enough people voted, so it's not um, that's frustrating because it's, it's really, it's not, it's not a political issue. It should be, you know, a, a survival issue and a, you know, the world's issue and, and oh, we have, and, you know, fighting that, if you can just get somebody who actually believes it's occurring and I don't know why they don't believe it's occurring, but, um, Money, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, Money sure. coming from people that benefit from folks that don't think it's occurring or don't want to acknowledge that it's occurring because their actions probably are contributing to it. <laughs> right. Well, that's true too. And that's it. It's like you know we money there's a limited amount, okay, I get that because it's all of our money that's going into it. but not only now are we trying to slow it down because we're not probably going to stop it at this point, but not only are we trying to slow it, but we have to deal with the repercussions, the mm-hmm. current repercussions of what's happening now with, you know, people losing their homes, people, you know, whole cities being wiped out, you know, of islands and places where, where do we, where do those people go? Like mm-hmm. you're losing things and you get the hurricanes that get worse and worse and stronger and stronger. And you're like, okay, so that's not only do we have to put money towards trying to do some things to stop this from happening, but you also have to have a lot of money available to deal with it happening right now and how it's affecting everybody else. So uh-huh. I, I know it's a, ugh, it's a money thing with the <laughs> making it political, but it's frustrating that, that there's still it's 2019 and we're still arguing about whether it's happening. Yeah. And in a place where instead of being reactive, we can be putting that money toward being resilient so that every time a disaster happens, we're not dumping money into fixing the problem. 
Right. You know, we can be prepared for the problem, but right. you know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, um, I also want to make sure that listeners have an opportunity to hear about how they can engage with AIO and learn more about your work. So are there some ways that listeners can um, learn more like the website and social media and, and all of that, if they are interested in checking out AIO? Sure. Well, we are on, um, we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, even though I have a really hard time (laughs) remembering to always update, you know, again, there's another (laughs) one of those things that um, I try to tell parents in the summertime in particular, I try to tell, um, I try to post every day, and tell parents what we're doing and post photos and things like that. So probably the easiest way is to go to Facebook and see, you know, what our kids are doing and what we're doing during the course of the summer or when I get the opportunity to go with you guys somewhere and, and, and meet up with the Healthy Oceans uh, Coalition. And um, so it, I would say probably there. Um, and like I said, Twitter and Instagram, I'm getting better with Instagram. <laughs> I think I want Instagram better because it seems to be less political and it's pretty you know. straightforward. And it it, it's so, you know, it's based on mostly beautiful images and exactly. less political rants. So I agree right. with you. Um, you know, and then if somebody has kids that are between the ages of 10 and 18, um, we run two week programs in the summer. So we run, we want run one, one week for our youngest kids, 10, 11. And then we run uh, two programs that are for the middle school ages. And then two programs that are for the high school ages and they're residential and the kids come to us and we teach them all about oceanography. So it's chemistry, biology, physical aspects of oceanography um, and give them a really good overview of what oceanography is. Um, and I'm pretty lucky. I mean, one of the best parts of my job is the kids. I mean, I get to work with really great kids. <laughs> you know, they, they have to have a teacher recommendation to come to the program. And that means I'm just getting, they don't all have to be A plus students. Um, some of them certainly are. Um, but I'm really just looking for motivated kids who are really interested and would get a lot out of this. And so, um, I'm pretty lucky because I get to work with great kids. Then they will often come back year after year. I'll have them five or six years. They become like family. You know, they come on our winter programs and I'm always excited to get their registration and be like, oh, I get to see this person again. Um, so it's really it's really wonderful. I have great staff. I'm pretty lucky to have good, solid staff. And and then sometimes the kids who've been my students come back as staff. And so this year I had <laughs> I had three staff teaching staff members who are teachers now who were kids in the program. Um, and so that was really, that was really great. It's always good to have that. Plus I take a couple of kids who are in college who were in the program at one time and as interns. And so, um, so, I mean, that's, I think a good way for people to get involved too. We, we tend to be, you know, we're an educational organization. We don't do, um, Publishable, publishable research, really. I, I'm doing things that teach the kids research methods and what, how to do it. And they make mistakes and that's okay. And they learn from those. And, you know, why, why did we get this data? And, you know, what could we do differently? Or, or do you feel like, no, this is what we got. And then you try to understand why you got what you got. And um, so I would say 
you know, the best way is probably for them to either find us on one of those social media ways or the website is AcadiaInstitute.com. Um, because you're right, Acadia Institute of Oceanography is a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get to us if you put that in, but um, it's just AcadiaInstitute.com. And they can, you know, see a video and read more about us and see that some samples of lessons and a schedule and kind of get an idea of what we are, what we're all about. Yeah. So everyone go check them out because they are an incredible organization. And, and I mean, what a cool experience to have if you have the opportunity to travel to Maine and attend one of these programs um, in one of the most beautiful places in the entire world. And I honestly don't think that's just because I'm super biased towards Maine. I feel like there's a reason why Acadia <laughs> National Park was protected, um, you know, because it is unbelievably gorgeous and, and full of incredible wonders and opportunities for learning. So please go check them out. And um so now I want to I want to round out the show by pivoting to a few questions that are a little bit broader, but I really love asking all of my guests these because everyone's answers seem to vary a little bit, although I am certainly picking up on a few trends. Um, so it's just been a really fun practice by um, pulling from your expertise and getting some of your opinions. But we'll, we'll start with probably the biggest one, which is what do you think are the most pressing environmental challenges that we're faced with. Um, you could either say a couple, or if you have like one big one on the top of your head, that, that counts too. Well, I think probably a little bit of what we spoke about before, which is getting people to accept that there are changes occurring in our environment and they're occurring too rapidly. And I, I don't know, you know, I have family members who even say to me just recently, one of them said, well, if that's really yeah. happening, and I thought, that's a big issue yeah. to me. Like, and Until they accept it, nobody will do anything yes. about it because they don't think it's a problem. Um, so for me, that's one of the big pressing yeah, issues. The mindset. Is that yes. The mindset, right, that people don't accept yeah. it and therefore they don't have to be inconvenienced by it or, um, that, and then, um, you know, I think, oh, gosh, there's a, it's, again, it gets overwhelming. There are a lot of things <laughs> to think about. I think we're an overpopulated yes. world. I think that part of why we're struggling with stuff is because we're trying to meet the demands of so many people. Um, I'd also like to see us working together more as countries, to, to find answers to things because, um, you know, people will say, when I say, well, let's cut our plastic use, let's not throw it in garbage. Let's, you know, cigarette companies, maybe, you know, people are throwing cigarettes outside and they end up in the ocean and there's plastic in those. And, um, you know, people will say, well, you know, we're not the worst yeah. ones. That's what I've heard. It's like, well, members, we're not the best either. Um, and it's really easy to point well, fingers. Yeah. So, <laughs> but you know what? We have other, we have issues. You're right. You know what? We're yeah. not the worst. And I think a lot of people are starting to come around to, to it, but they don't, um, they, they kind of just say, well, well that's, we're already doing what we have yeah. to do. Other countries. Yes. Other countries. And do it's have like, to what do a it. mindset it, too. You know, it's like, okay, so maybe you're not the worst, but does that mean that you can't be trying to always be better? <laughs> right. Exactly. 
And the, the um, you know, I've, I spent a lot of time in Jamaica with kids and, and people would throw their garbage right at the shoreline. They just threw it out the, outside the front of their house and it would go into the ocean. And going to Belize, we find garbage just on the shore. And they tell me it's coming from Honduras and places like that, the way the current's carrying it. Um, but look at, you know, these are people who don't know where their next meal is mm-hmm. coming from. So where their garbage goes is not their number one priority. And, and we, you know, need to help them with that somehow or find ways to, you know, say that, we, you know, this is a concern, but to them, that's not their number one concern. That's not their number yeah, one priority. So much of it is and just so, systemic. It's, it's everything is so right, interconnected. Right. And I think that also right. gets back to everybody choosing that one thing or two things that they can do to help f- fix their communities mm-hmm. or improve their community's health. Or to hear, you know, one more time, oh, uh, you know what? We've always had cold oh. snaps <laughs> or Climate's always changing. Yes, it is, but not mm-hmm. this rapidly. That's yeah. the problem. So for me, there are lots of issues. There are there's too much CO2 in the water. There's we're burning too many fossil fuels. We've got to, you know, reinforce people using uh, more renewable forms of energy. Um, and and make we've got to get people to make some change in their life, to do something that will make a change. But it for me it's a it's like but they have to believe that it's yes. an issue and it's for some reason not touching them or they're, they're not feeling it. And when they start to feel it, then maybe it'll become an issue charging for the bags in a store. Okay. They mm-hmm. feel that. And that's good because then they will make a change and they'll start bringing their own bags. And it's, it's that kind of thing where it's, I don't, that those are probably the ways we're going to have to get people to actually feel that these issues yeah. impact them. And because I also like to infuse some optimism and positivity into mm-hmm. my climate talks because they can, you know, be a little bit overwhelming. What are you right. hopeful for moving forward? Well, I'm really hopeful that all these kids I've been teaching for 35 <laughs> years, I don't know, from a lot of kids, <laughs> you know, 7,000 kids or something, um, plus all the environmental ed kids, that they will continue to do something, you know, um, that they will make a change and they will be forward thinking as opposed to, um, so I'm pretty hopeful about it. I mean, as opposed to a lot of people, you know, who are kind of like just ignoring it or acting like there's nothing there, they'll think, no, we need to do something about it. Maybe we need to do something before yes. it gets worse. And so um, I'm I'm very hopeful that we'll start to find ways to control our, um, our you know, burning of fossil fuels and, and throwing, you know, the, the ocean's, is full. The sink is full. (laughs) And so, you know, finding ways to, to dissipate that, or, you know, when all that plankton, phytoplankton dies, it also releases CO2. And, you know, if it's over, if you've got all those dead zones, because there's too much fertilizer going, it's a, you know, big domino effect. Um, So I'm hopeful that we're, we're going to, I'm feeling positive that we're going to find ways We're (laughs) I've been through a lot of presidents (laughs) and, I'm not sure if we've had worse, but I will say that things do change. You know, this too shall pass is what (laughs) I like to say. And, you know, I I know that there'll be different people, no matter what party they're in, who might 
see it, see these issues and say, we need to be working together. That's, that's my hope is that we start to work together as opposed to if our country feels yes, very divided sure. yeah. right now and, and feels like, you know, the whole, so uh, my friend in Washington said to me, if, if I didn't speak to people that don't agree with me, I, no one in Washington would talk. <laughs> well, yeah, all. it's also like, and, how do you learn anything? Like no one is perfect right, right. in their way of thinking ever. And I think it's so important right. for you to have discussions with people that believe very differently from you because you're both, all of you, we're all going to learn something um, and understand each other better because at the end of the day, and this might sound like very like hippie dippy, but it's like, we're all, we're <laughs> all human and, I, you know, we right. all sort of want those basic, like, primal things, like love and, you know, survival and all yeah. of that. And and it's, we just look at it differently. So if we can have those conversations, we're going to make progress versus just shutting down and pushing people away because then we get nowhere. Right. And we want clean water. We all want, you know, healthy children. We all want <laughs> clean air to breathe, you know. And so, yeah, talk to yeah. each other. That's, you know, I feel like I'm working with the kids and and that's sort of a way to say you got to be proactive and you get out there and you talk to people and you listen to people and you you know, you work with them because it's not black and white. I mean, you're not all you're not going to get everything you want, but but if you're not talking, you're not going to get yeah. anything. Nothing's going to change. Exactly. And so, um, and I, as I said to my son, he was doing a project on ocean pollution and saying something, you're going to destroy my earth. And I said, here's the thing. In the end, we're going to destroy ourselves. Yeah. The earth is going <laughs> to be know? here and it'll be fine. It's, it's a, it's a... It'll probably come right back <laughs> as soon as, you know, we're not yeah. on it. But we're going to destroy ourselves yeah. and maybe not in this lifetime and maybe not in yours. And I hope not, but... You know, it's like mm, if we don't do something, that's that's what's bound to happen. But I'm I'm very hopeful that that's not going to happen. I'm hopeful that that our future generations. I'm really I'm really betting on them. Yeah, they're very you know, inspiring. To, yeah, to step up and you know listen to the kids and everybody talking now and saying, they, yeah. uh-uh, I'm not going to tolerate that from you yeah. anymore. We're not going to tolerate that. this. Is my future, and I agree. It's their world that we're messing mm-hmm. up, and good good for them for speaking up and saying enough, you know, do something about it. Hopefully that'll keep going. That energy will keep going. And I, so that makes me really hopeful. Yeah. And this last one is a a two-parter because, um, you know, this goes right hand in hand with how inspiring those, those younger generations are. Um, but I think I'm positioned really well to have people like yourself and my other guests on this show that are experts on their own respective issues and have incredible stories to tell. So um, I think it's really nice to take a minute to hear some advice from you um, and learn from you. I mean, we've been learning for this whole chat, but I'm curious to know what is the best advice that you've ever been given? Well, we talked about one, which is be kind. Mm-hmm. My mother always said, hate's an awfully strong word. And, you know, be kind to people. Um, the other was probably, though, don't don't give up. Like, you can do this. When I, when I first was offered to purchase the program and I was going to take, you know, five years, it had to be done. And, and, you know, it was a lot of work, a lot, a lot of work. I had a lot of naysayers. 
had a lot of people kind of saying, oh, that's going to be hard. How are you going to do that? I don't know. And you know what? I knew I could do it. And having someone say, just don't give up. Just do it. You can do it. (laughs) And I thought, yeah, you know, don't give up. (laughs) It's kind of that same way with the earth and what's going on. It's like, don't give up, though, guys. I mean, it, it might seem... Like, you know, woe is us, the the world is struggling and, but don't give up. You know, if we don't give up on it and just keep trying to find answers, it'll, they'll come eventually. We'll make mistakes, but they'll come. So I think that's probably, you know, as a woman in the early eighties, even, and a mom, you know, it was like, oh, when you're a business owner, you know, and uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's work and you want to have kids too you know it's like yeah, yeah. I want it all and uh, <laughs> it's not always easy or even possible but you know I pulled it off my, with my husband the help of my husband that helped a lot but yes a, a supportive it takes spouse, support yes it does is, is really important <laughs> um, so I think that's probably it is don't give up yeah. And I mean, so my, my flip side of that was going to be what advice you have for listeners, but I feel like they kind of go hand in hand mm-hmm. with the, what you were talking about. But if you have any advice for listeners too, you, you're, well, again, share I would that. Say, you know, probably listen. That's my best advice. Listen to other people. Like don't, you know, there's a there. And again, I think it's a social media thing. Uh, sometimes I hate social media. Um, <laughs> there's the tendency Me too. To, yeah, to react. I mean, it can be a great thing, but it can also be just a horrible thing. And people react instead of listening. Like, and understanding. It's so yeah. quick. Everything moves so quick that we, right. we, it's like all surface level, no depth. Right. Try to understand what, what's going on. Just close your mouth and just listen for a while and then think about what you're going to say, <laughs> you know, and we're all guilty of this. We listen. And while someone's talking, we're thinking about what we're going to say. Right. We all do it, but listen. And it's okay for there to be some silence and think about a reaction or think about what you think and, you know, put yourself in the other person's shoes. The other thing I would say is, like we talked about already, is do something. Pick one thing and do it. And you'll be amazed. I mean, I think I think that's, if everybody just picked one thing and did it, it would make a huge difference. So that's our challenge to you again, listeners. If you take one thing from this episode, it's to choose your one thing. What are you going to do today to be either good to yourself, your community, or the planet? And Sherry, I really appreciate you spending time with me today. I I just so thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I'm really grateful for all of the work that you're doing and look forward to continuing to collaborate with you through the Healthy Oceans Coalition. Oh, thank you, Jenna. It was a lot of fun to talk to you. Gotta do this again sometime. (laughs) Yes, yes. We should have you on as a recurring guest. This is an awesome, (laughs) this is an awesome conversation. Well, you know, (laughs) if if the audience can take it. (laughs) and so I'd I'd also like to thank the listeners and if you like this show and want to hear more please subscribe to the American Shoreline Podcast Network wherever you listen to podcasts rates and reviews are always appreciated and you can find us on 
our favorite, as we were just talking about, social media (laughs) on Facebook. We are the American Shoreline Podcast Network. And on Twitter, we are at Coastal News 365. You can also find me personally on Twitter. I am at Yenna Benna. That's Y-E-N-N-A, B-E-N-N-A. And on Instagram, it's the same thing. But Yenna has three N's in it. Um, So please find us online and let's chat about our beautiful coastlines.